All of us want to be the best version of ourselves, but often things get in the way. We can get in our own way. Knowing what our best looks like is one of the biggest struggles of being the best of you. Well, if you, whether you have a church background or not, um, prayer is something you've probably wondered about it on varying levels. You've probably prayed at some point, even if it is just um, a prayer of frustration. Um, maybe you have prayed at some point simply because you didn't know what else to do. You didn't know what else to, what else to say, who else to talk to. M- maybe for you, um, you look back on your life and you just go, I don't, I don't think prayer works. You know, I, I tried it once, I tried it a few times, I asked God and I didn't get an answer. God didn't answer me on my timetable. God didn't give me the answer that I wanted. And we wonder, you know, did we do something wrong? Because what happens many times is you'll show up at a church or at a community group and and someone will talk about answered prayer and you think, how come their prayer got answered? Or maybe I've talked about this before, how you've asked for something. Maybe you ask for, you know, God to move in your marriage or God to move in your career or God to move in your parenting or, or, or God to heal you. And you didn't get the answer, but somebody else got the answer. You wonder, how come they got my marriage? Like, I asked for that marriage. I asked for that kid. And prayer for many of us is the place that we become the most disillusioned in faith. Because we wonder, why doesn't it always seem to work the way that I think it should? And so James, at the end of his book, we've been walking through the book of James, and the the whole book of James is about verse 4 in chapter 1. The whole theme of James is James trying to show us what does it mean to be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. And we've said throughout this series that being all that God calls you to be, all that God creates you to be, being the best of you is about becoming mature, complete, and lacking nothing. And it's the reason we make every decision in life. It's the reason that you have all of the friendships you have. It's the reason that you you spend money the way that you do. It's because you want to be complete. You want to lack nothing. And a big part of that is how prayer fits into that. Now, when we get to an idea like prayer, here, let me tell you a couple things before we dive in today. There's gonna be things about prayer that you're gonna walk out and you're gonna go, well, Josh didn't talk about that with prayer. And that's because we're gonna just walk through James, these seven verses in in James 5 and see what James has to say. James does not tell us everything that there is to know about prayer, okay? James does not give us the entire, you know, doctrine of prayer. But James and what he says is an enormous part of prayer in the life of a follower of Jesus. And maybe for you, you've wondered, is there like a formula? There's not really a formula. But what James does is he actually tells us some really important things about prayer. And so this is what it says in verse 13. James says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Now, if you remember, James starts in in chapter one, he says, I'm writing to the scattered people of God, the people who have been scattered around the Roman Empire who who are experiencing persecution. He's writing to people who are, you know, dislocated from their community. Maybe they've moved away from the home that they grew up in because of persecution. They are tired. They're wondering, is it really worth it following Jesus? Like, this is really hard. Is it really worth it? 
And so he writes them, he says, is anyone among you suffering? And I'm sure everybody who got this letter is, yes, James, I'm a Jew, I'm a follower of Jesus. In the Roman Empire, I am suffering. And James says, you should pray. Now, here's the thing when it comes to, comes to this. Many times, prayer is like the last thing that we do when we're suffering. Many times for us, when we're suffering, we think, well, I, you know what, if it's, if it's a parenting thing, I'll just read this book, listen to this podcast, I'll go to counseling, I'll talk to this person, maybe I need to read my Bible more, maybe I need to do this, maybe like if I just work harder, maybe if I just nag my spouse, like that'll fix it. And, and we try all kinds of things before we actually pray. All kinds of things before we actually pray. But James says, if you're suffering, you should pray. Now, he doesn't define suffering. He just says, if you're suffering. And now here's the thing, in a room this size and watching online, there is a good chance that somewhere in your life, you are suffering. There's a good chance that you are experiencing difficulty in your life. And here's what James would ask. Have you brought that burden to God or are you just carrying it on your own? Now, many times, we don't want to bring that to God. We don't want to bring that com to community. But James says, if you're suffering, you should pray. And then he says, if you're cheerful, you should sing praises. Now, this is what's interesting. If you remember last week, we looked at this, at what Job had to say. Now, Job says, you know, that, that God gives and that God takes. And, and so we see this again, that how God gives, how God takes. If you're suffering, if you are cheerful, and, and praises, when, when we're commanded to sing praises, that's just a form of prayer. When we sing, it's a form of prayer. When, when we celebrate who God is, when we celebrate the gifts that God has given to us, that's, that's a form of prayer. But many times, we actually, we don't sing praises to God when life is good. It's easy for me, I'll just, be, I'll just confess, it's easy for me to, to vent to God it's easy for me to give God a laundry list of things I'd like him to do, but it's not as natural to me to say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being powerful. It's not as natural for me to, to be out in nature and say, God, thank you for this creation. It's easier for me to say, God, could you please fix this person in my life instead of saying, thank you for community. And so James wants us to say, which one is easy and which one's hard for you to do? Now, some of you, it's, it's easy for you to praise God. And, and that's a personality thing for many of us. For many of us, it's easy for us to be thankful to God, to, to praise God. And James says, but you need both. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is so important, okay? When it comes to prayer, we have to constantly look which prayers we spend more time doing and which ones we spend less time doing. Because the ones that we spend less time doing are the ones God wants us to engage in more so that we become mature, complete, and lacking nothing. And so if all of your prayers are, are, are like my go-to of God, could you do this? Could you please fix this? Could you step in here? Could you rescue me from this? Could you, like, then you need to start thinking through, okay, how do I express gratitude? How do I thank God? One of my favorite things when we lead... Um, when we lead community groups, one of the things that we do at our dinner table is as we're all eating together, we just share evidences of God's grace. So we just say, hey, how have you seen God work in this past week? Now, here's the funny thing about this question when you ask this to a group of people, okay? First off, 
a lot of people will just sit there and go, you know, I don't know if I really saw God work in my week, which is a natural thing. The other one is, I don't know that it's big enough to share. Or we'll do this. You know, I don't really want to share that life is good because I know that the person sitting next to me's life isn't good. And so then we actually, we feel bad. And so we hold it in. But James says we actually need both. James says we need people who show up in a community group and show up in church and just say, I'm barely hanging on. And we need vulnerability and honesty like that. And then we need other people to show up and say, hey, let me tell you how God is at work. And when I sit there and my life is just not at all where I want it to be, God is not doing what I think he should be doing. As I hear other people talk about how God is at work in their life, do you know what it does for me? It reminds me that God is actually doing things. And it reminds me that I need to be a little bit more aware of where God is moving. See, and, and for many of us, we do one or the other. And so James wants us to ask, in your prayer life, are you good at praising or praying? Which one do you do more of? Because the one you do less of is the one we need to focus a little bit more on. He says, if life is good, thank God. When you sit down at lunch today, if life is good, sing praises. Sing praises. I remember when we moved here and we were, um, you know, we had lived in Tucson for 15 years. And for many of our kids, it was, it was all they knew. You know, two of our, three of our kids were born there. And when we got here, there was lots of grief, lots of tears about friendships changing and life changing. And people saying, you know, I miss this place. I miss this person. You know, this was our favorite ice cream place. This was our favorite burger place. You know, our kids are still like, there's nothing like In-N-Out because there's just nothing like In-N-Out. And like, and, and even the other day, we, we had dinner together as a family, got takeout and our kids go, these fries just aren't as good. And so, like, there's still this grief. But what was interesting is we talked about it. One of the things that we kind of stepped back to say, like, yes, we need to grieve that. We need to grieve the changing of relationships. We need to grieve when things are no longer what they were. But we also step back as a family to say, this is an opportunity for us to say, thank you, God, for that friendship. Thank you, God, for that place. Thank you, God, for that memory. Thank you that you sent that person into our life at just the right moment. And many times we only focus on what's hard, on our grief and lamenting, which we need to. We need to not push that aside. We need to not push that down. But we also need to say, but what is that revealing about God's good gifts? How do we celebrate that? And so James, James says, this is how we do prayer and community. Look at verse 14. He says, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, these verses, depending on your church background, these verses have been used for a lot of damage. Okay, so I remember when, when I first, you know, really got serious about my faith in college, started following Jesus. And I remember I was, I was at more of a charismatic church and, you know, every week there was a prayer and healing service. 
And I remember at one point watching somebody who had gotten prayed for numerous times and nothing seemed to happen. And I remember sitting there, I'm trying to figure this out. I, I had grown up in a church that did not do any of that kind of stuff. Like it, it, our Trinity in the church I grew up in was like God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Bible. And so like, it, this was a whole new realm for me of watching this whole idea of praying for healing. And I remember saying to somebody like, hey, like what's going on? And, and they said, oh, well, you know, they're, they're getting prayed for healing. You know, that, that person's been prayed for so many times. And, and, and being new to this, I said, well, like, well, how many times do they go? Like, what, why isn't it working? Or is there like a secret to it? Like, I had no idea. I was 19, I was trying to figure this all out. And the person said, oh, well, you know, they, they get healed if they believe enough. I went, oh, I was like, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> and they said, oh, it's in James 5. And so these verses, a lot of times, now we, we actually, without even having these verses or that idea, actually kind of like put this on ourselves in prayer. Because many times, if we don't see God answer the way that we hoped, or we don't see God move in a timetable that we hoped, we just think, I must have done something wrong. Maybe I didn't believe enough. Maybe I didn't say the right words. Maybe, maybe like there's some kind of hidden thing in my life that I don't even know about that I, that I have to confess. And, and so these verses kind of weasel their way into our relationship with God in some kind of dangerous ways. But James tells us what we're supposed to do. He says, if anyone is sick, now this is important. In the New Testament, the word sick is used 32 times, okay? In the Gospels, it's used 18 times and it refers to physical sickness, okay? In the epistles, which is Romans to Revelation, the word sick is used 14 times, which is one of them's in James. And each time, it doesn't refer to physical sickness. It refers to emotional or spiritual weakness in the epistles. So when James says, is anyone among you sick? He's expanding on what Jesus did when he talked about the sickness in the gospels of physical, but he is saying it also includes emotional and spiritual weakness. It's not just physical. Now here's why. The things that show up in our physical body many times are from emotional and relational wounds that we just carry. I'll give you an example. So years ago, I was in a really just kind of really hard season, a really dark season. And all of a sudden, just through the stress and the anxiety that I was just experiencing and, and different relationships that, that were troubled in my life, um, I remember we were on vacation and, and my hand like, I couldn't open my hand. It would just like do this. Every time I would preach, my hand would just like lock up. And so I went to the doctor and they're like, hey, are you like under any stress? And I'm like, tons of stress. Like I'm under lots of stress. And he's like, well, where's that coming from? And, and, and as we talked through it, one of the other symptoms, all of a sudden I started losing hair. And I thought, man, this is really weird. Like, I, I, you know, maybe it's, I'm just that age, you know, and, but it was like all blotchy and things like that. And here's one of the things that I started to realize as I started to meet with a spiritual director, is that all of those physical symptoms, now at least in that season, this isn't always the case, but at least in that season, we're all connected to some kind of relational and emotional thing that was happening in my life. Because the things that are inside of us, and, and you know this, I mean, Jesus told us this, the things that are inside of us eventually come out. And so James says, if you're sick, not just physical, but if you're emotional, Spiritual, because here, when, when we pray for healing, we often don't pray 
for healing for emotional or spiritual weakness. We pray for healing and physical weakness. And James says, don't just pray for healing and physical weakness and physical sickness. Remember the context. What did we look at last week? Suffering. So James says, if you're suffering, you're weak, you're tired, you're disappointed, you're sad, you're heartbroken, you're anxious, you're depressed, then pray. See, we're told in numerous places how to pray and what prayer does. In, in the Gospel of Mark, one of my favorite stories, Jesus is teaching in a house that's crowded and all of these, these guys are trying to bring a man that's, that's paralyzed so that Jesus can heal him. And there's four friends and they have one of these, one of the guys is paralyzed and so they're bringing him. They climb up onto the roof of the house, which has always fascinated me because they, they climb up with this guy, which that is a ton of work. You know, to get to the top of this house, they rip open a hole in the, in the roof. I've always wondered, like, what about the guy who owned the house? Like, how is he feeling about this moment? You know, does he look like, oh man, this is so great. I'm glad I hosted Jesus, you know? And so they rip open the, the roof, they lower him down. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Their faith. Because here's why we come together in community and pray is because there will be a time in your life. And if you haven't hit it yet as a follower of Jesus, it is coming for you. There will be a moment in your life when you do not have the faith to muster and you need the community around you to muster it for you. And if you haven't got, it's coming for you. There's gonna be a moment where you sit and say, I don't know what to say. I am just spent. And the community comes around you and says, we'll pray for you. We'll pray when you don't have the strength in the words. It's like that moment in the Old Testament where when Moses' arms are up and there's people holding his arms up so that he doesn't get tired. And while his arms are up, God is moving and as his arms go down in the battle, they see the defeat coming and they hold his arms up. There is a time, this is why James says, get community around you, get people around you. Don't be an isolated follower of Jesus because there will be a time where you go, my arms are too tired. My arms are too tired. But here's the thing. Some of us are too proud to sit in community and say, my arms are too tired. Some of us are too proud to sit around the table and say, I don't know that I can muster the faith. Can you muster it for me? I, I, I've told this story before when we were in Wisconsin in just a really hard season and about 15, 16 years ago. And, and Katie said, I think we should be praying for this. And I said, I, I can't pray for that. Like, I, I, my, like, I don't wanna pray for that. I don't wanna ask that. I, I, and she said, I got it. I'll pray for us. I'll pray for you. And sometimes we need the community. And so James says, call the community. Call the elders. And the elders in, in, the, in the New Testament church, are, they're not the... They're not the most spiritually mature, perfect people of the church. They're not even the oldest people of the church. A lot of times they like, oh, they must be the oldest people of the church because they're called the elders. They're not. They are the men and women who are called by God to provide oversight, care, and protection to the church. That's what elders do. They're the men and women who protect, provide oversight, and care for the church. You've seen many of them around. 
Some of them serve up here uh, on stage through preaching and, and music and leading communion. Some of them are on the prayer team. Some of them uh, teach down in, in kids' ministry. But they're the ones that keep us on track financially and on our mission and theo theologically, and they, they hold me uh, accountable. And so James says, call the elders. But look what happens when they call the elders. They anoint him with oil. And when we as elders get to do this, it's, it's, it's an incredible holy moment when we get to sit with people and pray over them and, and anoint them with oil. And he says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. And, and he's going to say it again. Look at verse 16. He's going to use it again. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. See, when we think of this idea of save and salvation, we think of just simply like praying a prayer or like believing the right thing so we can get to heaven. But in the New Testament, when it talks about that salvation, when it talks about that, the whole point is being restored, rescued, Yes, it is salvation and being rescued from the power of sin and death into new life in Jesus. But it is also, he doesn't say, pray to one another and you will go to heaven. He says, pray and you will be healed. You will be healed. In verse 15, he says, pray and the sick person will be saved and the Lord will raise him up. Now, here's the thing. The downside to this, and here's why James 5 is not a formula, is because we're not told when the Lord will raise him up. And this is why prayer is so hard. Because James doesn't say, if you do this and do this, and if you call the right people and confess your sins and anoint with oil, then this will happen. He says, do this, do this, and then... Then what, James? When does it happen? He says the Lord will raise him up. And the crux of prayer is that moment. The crux of prayer is that moment because that is the moment where we release it and say, okay, God, now it's in your hands. And this is what's hard because many of us, this is our struggle, is when it's in God's hands. When we ask for this and God gave that, when we say, God, could you do this? Could you heal this? Could you move in this way? And God says, here's the answer. And I'll be honest, when this happens and I go, God, but I asked for this. I'll be perfectly honest. This is really frustrating when I don't get what I want. And you probably feel the same way too. Because then it starts to question, do I believe the thing that God gave me is good? Do I believe that his timetable of raising him up is good? Do I trust that that's good? Do I trust that while I'm waiting, God is moving? And then he gives us this example in Elijah. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. And then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Now, here's what I love that he uses Elijah, okay? 
couple Christmases ago, we preached through the life of Elijah. Elijah is one of my favorite people in the Bible because he's so real and raw and vulnerable, okay? In 1 Kings, we meet Elijah, and Elijah is a prophet of God, and God moves through his prayers in incredible ways. We see Elijah pray, and he raises a little boy from the dead. We see him pray, and, and God stops the rain for over three years, and then he prays, and fire comes down from heaven. I mean, so you would think these are incredible acts of prayer. Like, this would be somebody who was just walking around, like, just beaming with, like, faith, okay? And then, after all of that happens, in 1 Kings 18 and 19, we're told that Jezebel, the queen, gets angry enough to kill Elijah. And what does he do? He runs into the desert. Now, notice, this whole time, he has seen God do all these things through his prayers, And he gets into the desert and he goes, God, I am so depressed. I'm the only one who follows after you. Everybody is against me. I would just rather die. Okay? And and what does God do? I love God's answer. God doesn't look at him and say, hey, let's talk about this. Like, let's, you know, let's kind of extract your feelings. Let's do all. What does he say? He says, here's some food. Take a nap. Love that. Such, I mean, and some of us, some of you, God's, this is why you came to church. You came to church because God wanted you to know you just need to maybe eat some lunch today and take a nap. Clearly my dad needs to eat some lunch and take a nap. So, um, but here's what I love about Elijah. And this is why James tells us because one, James wants us to know that it's okay to be weak. It's okay for you to say, God, I feel like I'm the only one. God doesn't scold him and say, Elijah, you're not the only one. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't say that's ridiculous. No, and this is the picture of the father that we pray to. When Elijah unloads on God, God doesn't say, let's pick out what's really true and what's a lie, Elijah. No, he just says, I hear you. It seems like you're cranky. And just engages him. And such care And so James wants us to know it's okay for you to bring all of those feelings to God. It's okay for you to say, I am so frustrated. It is okay for you to say, I am so angry. I am let down. I am disappointed. I am depressed. I am anxious. I am mad. I love that James uses Elijah. Elijah is this incredible picture of what is allowed in prayer. And God meets him. But also, James wants us to know how Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed with such earnestness and specificity, okay? He was so specific. He prayed that God would raise him from the dead. He prayed that fire would come down from heaven. He prayed that God would withhold the rain. Here's the way that you and I often pray. Hey, God, so like if you have time, Like if you, I don't know, if you could like do something about my boss. Like if you, like I I read a book, like if you could give me a new kid by Friday, like Saturday, I'd take Saturday too. Like I'm open, I'm open to Sunday. It doesn't have to be this week, but like if, like we pray, like we're like, God, I hope, I hope maybe you hear me. And James says, Elijah prayed with the confidence that God would hear and move. 
And for many of us, that is not the confidence with which we pray. We don't ask specifically. And I'll tell you why. I don't, know, I don't know why we don't, but I'll tell you why I don't. I struggle to ask God for specific things often because I don't really want to deal with being let down. So if, I, I, if I'm vague in my prayers with God, that actually kind of protects me. But I put myself out there and say, God, I'm asking for this. And we should. Why? Because Jesus said, Ask for the desires of your heart. Pray them. Bring the desires of your heart to God and find out if they are for what God wants. But we don't ask for the desires of our heart often. But Elijah did. Elijah didn't stand by the bedside of a dead, dead boy and say, well, God, no, he was specific. Specific. And not only that, but also Elijah's, this is the other part of Elijah's story. Elijah's struggle was not physical. He was spiritually weak. He was emotionally weak. He goes out to the desert and he says, I am so angry and tired and depressed. I just want to die. Because James wants us to know we are supposed to bring not just our physical ailments to God, but our emotional and our spiritual weaknesses to God. And some of us have to ask, are we, are we asking God to heal our wounds? Are we asking God to heal our relational scars that we pretend didn't happen 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago? Are we asking God to meet us in that place of darkness and brokenness? Are we willing to bring it into community and say, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling to believe that God is actually good. I'm really struggling to believe that, that God's actually near. Whereas we think about Easter, that, that, God is, that God is for me. See, James says, bring that to God. Don't just bring the spiritual sounding things to God. I mean, this is why, this is why you read through the Old Testament. Over a third of the Psalms are lament angry psalms, okay? It, it, it's like Seattle in the 90s. I mean, that's the, that's the psalms, okay? God, where are you? How long is this gonna last? What are you doing? Why do, the, why do the evil prosper? Why is no one else here? Why am I the only one? Why am I still hurting? Why is this still sick? What, why, 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 why? How long, how long? And then you just keep reading through the Old Testament. What is it? Jeremiah, God, you tricked me. It's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be easier than that. You just keep going. Lamentations, a whole book. And then we go at prayer time in our community group. Hey, anybody got any prayer requests? And, and here's where the Psalms and Jeremiah and Lamentations prayer request fits in for most of our lives. I have an unspoken. I get it. It's really hard for us to verbalize it. But we have to verbalize it somewhere. We have to tell somebody. And then look what James says. This feels like kind of a hard right term, but it's actually completely connected to this. Look at verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover 
a multitude of sins. Because one of the things that happens when we hold all of that in, when we hold all of the stuff that, that David and the psalmist and Jeremiah and everybody wrote in all of those just brutal Old Testament books of just brutal honesty, you know what happens? We start to pull away. We start to isolate. We start to say, I'm strong enough for this. I'll get through this. We start to hold it in. And we start to walk away. We say, well, I haven't seen God do this. I haven't seen God move. And, it, and the question is, James would say, well, well did, you, did you bring it up? Did you say it? Did you hold it in? Did you bring it to God? Did you sit in community? Did you talk to friends? Did somebody hold the mirror up to you? And if we're honest, it's way easier to do none of that stuff and then get mad that God didn't move. And James says when we do that, when we stray from the truth, what is, what is the truth? It's, it's what we know about God through his word. And what do we know? This is, what, this is what we're gonna look at for the next six weeks. This is what we know about God and his word. That we experience all of these things through Christ. That through Christ, God has promised his presence and he's promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. That's what he's promised us through Christ. That through Christ, God has promised to hear us to guide us, to move in our lives and in the world around us. That through Christ, God has promised to redeem all things and heal all things. When? That's the, the step of faith. And through Christ, God has promised to strengthen us. And so here's how I want us to close. And Jerry's gonna come up and prepare us to lead through communion, but what is it that you're carrying that maybe you've not told God yet? Is there something that maybe you're carrying that you've not told God, you've not asked God? And maybe, maybe you're in a place where, where you just need to sing praises to God and you need to tell God thanks. That you're, you're not really suffering. You're, you're in a great spot. Life is good for you. But many of us are carrying things that we need to give to our Father. You're carrying things for other people that you need to give to your Father. You're carrying things that you're not supposed to carry. And our Father does not shun us and turn away when we tell him what's in us, what burdens us, what keeps us up at night. I mean, that's why James tells us about Elijah. Elijah runs out into the desert all by himself and says, God, I just want to die. And he doesn't scold him. And in his grace, he just meets him and comforts him. And so I want to invite you to just take a moment. I'm going to pray for us. But just what is it that you, you need to give over to God?
Father, I just thank you that you, that you meet us. I thank you that in your grace, you do not scold us. I thank you that James includes the story of Elijah's life. A man who runs out into the desert and says, I'm all alone. No one else is here. No one else is as strong as I am. No one else believes like I do. And you don't scold him. You don't tell him he's wrong. You just comfort him. You meet him. And so God, this morning, many of us are in this place where we need you to meet us. We need you to tell us whatever it is that will heal us, just like you said to Elijah, you just need some food and a nap. And I thank you that as we prepare to come to the table and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, I thank you that you give us grace. You do not withhold back. You don't, just, you don't keep it from us. But you meet us and extend grace to us in your name. Amen.